0: Food is fuel for your body, your mind, and definitely your sport. But let's face it, nutrition is confusing and the expectations on girls and women to be thin and have a six pack are exhausting. If you've ever been frustrated with your body, confused about nutrition, obsessed with eating healthy or guilty when you don't, underate, overate, or overtrained and overwhelmed with all the pressure, then this podcast is for you nutrition can be easy. You can take control of it, but it might start with letting go of control by asking for help and making a change. I'm Lindsay Elizabeth Cortez, sports dietitian and owner of Rise Up Nutrition, where I empower female athletes to overcome nutrition concerns and perform at their highest level. To stop being confused by all the mixed or harmful messages and finally have confidence in your body as a fierce, fit and fueled female athlete. Today's episode is brought to you by Practice Better. As a registered dietitian or health practitioner, do you ever feel so frustrated by the technology and the 18 different platforms that you have to use just to communicate with one client? It's like you need a way to host sessions, a way to chart, a way to invoice, to email, a way to schedule appointments, manage a calendar, send documents, etc., etc. You've got 20 different tabs slowing your computer down. Meanwhile, you lose your mind and you've got sticky notes thrown all around your office. Am I right? I've been there before too, but guess what? Practice better solves that. As a registered dietitian who manages dozens of clients at any given time, Practice Better has been my solution to having a one stop shop for everything I need to manage my clients and my business. I've been using Practice Better since the inception of Rise Up Nutrition, and I have only good things to say. It is the complete nutrition practice management platform for health and wellness professionals, complete with client management, scheduling and booking, billing and payments, programs and courses, telehealth and messaging integration with food journals and exercise logs, supplement dispensaries, and more. If you are a registered dietitian, health coach, or anything in the health field looking for a better way to manage your practice, try Practice Better. To help support this podcast, do so by clicking the unique Practice Better link in the show notes to learn more and sign up. By clicking that link and using the code RISEUP. 20, you will receive 20% off your first four months on any paid plan. Yes, 20% off your first four months. Also, this is in addition to your first 14 days as a free trial, so you can explore all the features of every plan option. Remember to click the link in the show notes to support the podcast, then use the code RISEUP20. Rise up 20. Okay, let's get to the show. Hello fans and listeners, it's Lindsay Elizabeth Cortez, your host of the podcast, sports dietitian and owner of Rise Up Nutrition, and I'm here today with another fellow registered dietitian and sports dietitian, Emily Burgess. She completed her bachelor's degree in dietetics at the University of Connecticut, where she competed as a Division One tennis player. She went on to obtain her Master's of Science in Nutrition and Food Science and completed a dietetic internship at West Virginia University. She's also a board-certified sports dietitian specializing in sports performance, nutrition, and eating disorders in athletes. Emily began her dietetic career at St. Elizabeth's Medical Center in Boston as a clinical dietitian and then accepted a position at the Cambridge Eating Disorder Center as a registered dietitian. Along with her inpatient and eating disorder experience, Emily has volunteered for two U.S. Division I sports nutrition programs. Emily has worked at Home Base, a Red Sox Foundation and Mass General Hospital program, where she provided nutrition support to veterans and their families. During her time there, she supported Home Base's tactile athletes who were competing in events such as the Boston Marathon and the Marathon Day Savoys. Emily has also spent time as a clinical nutrition specialist in the Division of Sports Medicine and Female Athlete Program at Boston Children's Hospital, and as a registered dietitian at MIT Recreation. She recently completed a sports nutrition fellowship at the University of Washington through the Gatorade Sports Nutrition Immersion Program. Emily, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I always think it's fun just when dietitians get together and chat about their experiences, how they help clients. And I think that our careers, though, different, certainly have a lot of like overlapping points in our interests and how we help and things like that. So we're really excited to chat. Let's start Emily with talking about your experiences as an athlete and you yourself you know played collegiate tennis. Can you tell us a bit about like what sports have meant to you as a woman in this world and growing up and how you got into tennis? Yeah, for sure.
1: So, I started playing tennis probably around 12, 13 years old and Playing started playing really more for fun, um, which is more of a social thing, and then kind of got really into it and began competing at a pretty young age, traveling all over New England playing tournaments. And then a big goal of mine eventually was to play Division One. That was kind of what I was aiming for. I played USTA throughout high school and then on my high school team. I just loved playing on the high school team for more of like the social the social part of it. I really loved the team atmosphere. Being part of a team tennis is such an individual sport if you're playing singles and competing that way. So I really valued that time being on the team in the spring during my high school years and then um, ended up going to play for the University of Massachusetts Amherst my freshman year and began my, my D1 career there. So I was there for my freshman year and then I... Okay, I need to pause you yeah. because I didn't know that. I went to UMass
0: Amherst. Oh, no way. Yeah. yeah. I was there in 2011 to 2012. <gasps> that's, that's crazy. So well, really? I graduated 2011, so okay. we just overlapped. But oh, um, so cool. yeah, so interesting because that was another thing as was starting this conversation. I was like, our careers have overlapped. like Just with you being at UConn, I grew up in Massachusetts and you working in Boston and stuff. So i was just like, oh, I'm so excited to talk to you, but I had no clue you went to... UMass for a year. Obviously, you transferred. Yep. Um, so which we all have our reasons for that. But yeah. still, that's really exciting. That is funny. Yeah, so I ended up transferring.
1: I was from Connecticut. So just kind of made sense for me. So I ended up transferring to UConn, and I ended up playing for my sophomore year there. And at the time, I mean, I loved it. I played during the fall, I was competing on the team. Um, We're at UMass, I actually didn't make the roster my freshman year. So playing at UConn was incredible and being able to really be a part of the team and travel. And then as the kind of the year went on, I was definitely kind of solidifying my, my major and kind of what I wanted to do with the rest of my life, because I wasn't going to go pro and I was kind of okay with that. So I ended up kind of letting that go after my sophomore year and then stopped playing for my junior and senior year. I think tennis will always be a part of my life and it's a sport that you can play for your entire life. I definitely needed both a physical and mental break from it after I kind of let it go. But being able to now work in a space where I can still have relationships with athletes and in
0: particular work with tennis players is something that I still love to be able to do. Well, this is such an important conversation because I think a lot of athletes can experience a point where whether their sport isn't fun or other things take priority, like their school and their career path take priority. But as an athlete, the word quit doesn't settle well, right? And th- so it's so hard for us. So I even just love that you said, I was going to let that go because there was something else you know, you needed out of life and wanted out of life. And I think there was a point in my career as a track athlete at UMass where I actually had a couple of friends who did leave the team and then I wasn't performing well. And I was like, is this really worth it? All this energy and effort I'm putting into it. And I considered it as well. I I ended up not, but I think I look back on my friends who did leave the team. And I think now I'm like, wow, that was really the right choice for them, you know, that it's okay. and, And it doesn't mean that you don't love sports or you're not an athlete. It's just that this setting scenario time isn't necessarily the right thing. And so I thank you for sharing that. I also want to thank you for sharing the fact that playing time was important. And so like, yeah, the shift to UConn, where you actually got to play so many people might pick a school based on, you know, how great the team is, or how well known it is. But it's like, but if you're on the sidelines the whole time, like, maybe you want to play. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And
1: it kind of it came down to I mean, it was a huge decision. You know, I, it took me, Months to process it and months to think about it and to really make that call. But yeah, playing to me was important. I didn't dedicate my entire upbringing to playing six, seven days a week and traveling to sit on a bench. And at the end of the day, like I got the most out of my D one experience that I could, and mm-hmm. it felt like it was time to let it go. And I still keep in touch with my teammates from then, and I still really have good relationships with the coaches and this in the, the teams that I did have. So. It definitely felt like the right decision for me at the time.
0: Yeah. And I think too, as athletes, you can be involved in sports without always like being the one in the sport, which is obviously like where your career has taken you with still staying involved in, in sport and working with athletes. There's so many other ways that you can, you know, express your passion for athletics and sports that even if it's not you personally participating at that specific level, you know, so it's really great, and yeah, that was another question I had for you because, and I I knew that Connecticut UConn did end up getting a dietetics program, but I guess that shows how I'm I'm just a bit older than you because when I was looking into schools, I considered UConn and they didn't have a nutrition program. So just a few years difference, they finally did. Yep, yep. They actually have
1: two, so they have a they actually have a, like a, a dietetic internship within an undergrad program, or you can see like a, I think a coordinated program, and then they also have just like a bachelor's degree in dietetics where then you have to then go sit for the internship afterwards uh, where they've actually kind of evolved pretty significantly the past couple of years yeah
0: did you go into like where for you was your interest in nutrition because of sport how did that begin for you
1: it was a combination of a couple of things I had no idea what I wanted to do with my career tennis was my life So when I went to UMass, I was undeclared, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I took classes that basically my advisor just put me in, right. And going into sophomore year, I still was undeclared my first semester, and I randomly decided to take a basic nutrition course. And I fell in love with the science of it. I fell in love with my professor who then encouraged me to do the major. And then I was able to come then apply it to my life as an athlete and my day to day functioning and training, and just kind of understanding the language a little bit better. So it kind of that combination of me loving science and really being able to apply that to myself, and then being able to take a job or a career and put it into something that I love to do in a, in a space that I felt comfortable in.
0: Absolutely. So here's an interesting question. I like to ask other dietitians, do you think that studying nutrition and the coursework that's required in a a dietetics program really helped you fuel your body better as an athlete or, or were there some like conflicts, because very often what we're learning as we're studying dietetics might be more general health focus, not necessarily sports nutrition. And we might be learning about things like limiting sugar intake or fat intake, which can actually be potentially detrimental for athletes. What was that experience like for you? Did you find that it really helped you or did it not help you
1: in any aspects. Yeah, totally. So, I I'll be totally honest, like when I was an athlete my sophomore year at UConn and I declared going into my spring semester there, I didn't really think about it that significantly. I actually took a sports nutrition class going into my junior year, so that was kind of when I really started to understand nutrition as an athlete. I definitely kind of thought about it while I was still an athlete a little bit differently, kind of understanding the role of carbohydrates and why protein was important and then the spacing of protein throughout the day. So I would say like the more basic education, I started to kind of understand a little bit better and apply to myself. But I think the really core education and how I could apply that came much later in my collegiate career and after sport that I, had, and I let tennis go. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I just think I, and I like to chat with dietitians that are uh, younger than me or went through coursework more recently to see if like the academics have changed at all, just with, especially knowing that you work with disordered eating and eating disorders as well. There's, you know so much curriculum that I, I, I kind of, I grapple with a little bit, especially when I work with clients and I'm sure you have some clients like this too. When you're working with clients on their nutrition, sometimes in young clients, I should, specify in high school or college that like motivates them to be like, I think I want to study this. And sometimes I get nervous because I'm like, ah, like if this is a client that has disordered eating tendencies, I know that sometimes that curriculum that can say things about like keeping sugar at 10% of your diet of your total intake and stuff that I'm like, oh, this could be really triggering and not good for you. And so I think it's, it's, I don't know where I was going with that, but you just have to be, you have to be in a good place yourself. Even if you love, you have to really love the science of it and look at nutrition very objectively, Mm -hmm. as you are studying nutrition.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think that there really isn't a ton of focus on number one, nutrition for athletes, nutrition for people struggling with disordered eating or eating disorder, or even just covering that topic in general, right? I mean, when I ended up taking the job at the eating disorder center, my only eating disorder experience was learning the diagnosis and criteria of anorexia and bulimia. That was it. That's all I knew from my undergrad career and my diet internship career, to be honest, you know? So I think that a lot of these topics are starting to kind of be put into undergrad from like the interns that I've had. And they're starting to learn a little bit more and they're starting to want to know and understand disordered eating and really kind of changing the way that we talk about food and we educate about nutrition and kind of the language. But I definitely agree with you that when I was a student, it definitely was more like obesity, cardiac care, renal disease, things of that nature. Diabetes. Yeah. Diabetes. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so all of these things are important, but like, so is forced nutrition. So are yeah. eating disorders like that needs to be in there a bit more. So, so how did you, you know, is it just through your experiences when you then worked at like Boston's children hospital and female athlete program that they kind of got into specializing a bit in disordered eating athletes. Sure. Yeah, so I guess I'll go back a little
1: bit. So when I was in grad school, I I wanted to go to Boston. That was where I wanted to end up after graduate graduate school. So I was just doing research, kind of like networking around a little bit, and I ended up coming across the female athlete program back in 2017. And then after I passed my RD exam, I ended up connecting with Laura Marietti Reese, who is one of the dietitians at Boston Children's Hospital, back in 2017, and we just kind of kept in touch over the years, and she is now my boss. And I've worked for her for many years. And she's been my mentor since day one. And the advice that she gave me back in 2017 was, if you want to work in sport, you need to understand eating disorders and disordered eating. So she actually was a big push for me to getting into the eating disorder space first. Like I kind of started out in clinical and ED, and then sport later. So that taking that job in the residential eating disorder center was definitely a huge push from her and i'm so grateful for that experience and she's such a trailblazer in that combination between sports and eating disorders and i just wanted to learn from her so we kept in touch over the years and and then she ended up offering me a position at her private practice when i was still working there so it kind of started within eating disorder care and just kind of working with the general population and
0: then the sports came in second um but it's so true. And that that's, you know, me, I would say as well is like I was a sports dietitian first, but the reality is that really high percentages of athletes struggle with disordered eating in some way, shape or form, you know, and it might vary. We might have higher numbers in different sports, types of sports, different age groups. But I mean, it could be anywhere between like 20 to 50% of athletes. Yeah. Yeah you know, yeah. really struggle with this. And so yeah, it's absolutely great advice from Laura to say that if you want to work in sports, this is something you need to understand, because you're going to face it and and a lot of it. And I think that's very similar to like my path as well is that as I was working in sport, these are the cases that just kept happening over and over and over and over again. And it was like, you know what, this really needs my full attention, my undivided attention. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So going back to, so
0: you asked about the female athlete program. So yeah. Could you share with our listeners, like, you know, cause that's a, it's for people who at least are on the East coast. I think it's an interest in this. It's, it's pretty well known. I think it's well known. Maybe I live in my bubble here, but can you just tell us what is the female athlete program that is at the Boston Children's Hospital?
1: Sure. Yeah. So the female athlete program is a, a program within sports medicine at Boston Children's Hospital that Basically, works with athletes' interdisciplinary team, including physicians. So, Dr. Katherine Ackerman is a phenomenal sports medicine and endocrinologist. There are psychologists on staff, so Dr. Kimberly O'Brien. There's two dietitians there, so Laura Reese and Nicole Farnsworth. And a ton of research is really kind of the foundation of that program and really researching about the female athlete, finding um, resources for the female athlete, and really just kind of bringing more awareness to it. It's an incredible program. And I had the opportunity to work there for six months and I ended up leaving a job to go work there to cover it was a maternity coverage for Laura. When I ended up working there and I jumped on it in five seconds, I was like, I'm not gonna let this opportunity pass. So I left my job, went to go take it just to be able to work with the best
0: of the best in the field. Amazing. And the female athlete program is also now hosting their own conference every year. It's a few years in a row now of it, correct?
1: Yes. So we host the female athlete conferences every two years. So we are currently working on the conference for 2023 as of right now. Yeah. So it's a, it's a conference that gives basically presents the latest research. It hosts not only dietitians, physicians, athletic trainers, psychologists, psychiatrists, but also athletes and then students who want to go into different sports paths or sports medicine paths. So it really is not only a huge conference for every specialty, but it's also international. So it's an incredible
0: program to kind of put together. Yeah, my colleague and I, Jenna, are hoping to attend for this upcoming year. And I know there was also a deadline for submission. Me and her keep going back and forth of, are we going to submit something? And I'm like yeah. looking at the date right now as we're recording this. I'm like, oh, I, ha- I don't have anything together yet. But I think what's really unique about the female athlete program and just at Boston Children's Hospital hosting this is, yes, it's that support for the people. And if, you, if you're somebody... Who is struggling and needs help, like go to these experts and they're wonderful, but there's so much research behind it. And so that helps people like me, but I'm based here in Texas, that like I'm looking to what's being put out by Boston Children's Hospital and the research going on, the female athlete program, because it's it's a driver, you know, for yeah, for everybody else, myself included, as a sports dietitian in this field. So really amazing work that that they are doing there. Mm-hmm. Hey fans, I hope you are enjoying this conversation so far and we'll be back to it in just a moment. But first, I want to pause and let you know that this episode is brought to you by the Female Athlete System of Transformation, aka a fast track to overcome disordered eating and use food as fuel to perform at your highest level. The Female Athlete System of Transformation is my unique program and proven systems to guide female athletes to understanding and implementing the proper nutrition for their sport, life, and health. Myself and my team of registered sports dietitians work one-on-one with clients to address their unique needs and counsel them through the nutritional and behavioral changes needed. Many female athletes who resonate with disordered eating, mental guilt around food and body, relative energy deficiency in sport or female athlete triad, amenorrhea, repeat injuries due to negligent nutrition, or frankly, just a lack of knowledge and understanding on their fueling needs have seen incredible success in the fast track. After years of working as a sports RD, I've compiled the most effective ways for female athletes to learn nutrition, be supported, be challenged, and ultimately find their success with fueling as fast as possible. So don't wait another day. Get to your goals faster by joining the Female Athlete System of Transformation. Look in the show notes or head to the website to book a free call and learn more. Okay, now let's get you back to the conversation. Enjoy. So, I think with that being said, I'd love to just hear. You know, I I personally have a feel for it already, but for our listeners to get exposure to a different dietitian, how would you describe your nutrition philosophy? Sure. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, I take the approach that all foods can fit. I really try to empower my clients to really be confident in their food choices. The world we live in between diet culture, the media, it really makes you question every decision that you make and makes you kind of question your body's own internal signals to kind of make a choice for you. So, kind of getting back to the basics of really understanding the signals that your body is designed to give you and that you're supposed to honor them and not supposed to follow a fad that you saw on TikTok five minutes ago, right? So, really kind of helping them understand that nutrition can be really simple. And the world really makes it complicated. Isn't that the truth?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Like sometimes I feel like, do people think that I'm the dumb one because I'm like oversimplifying this? And I'm like, no, it really is that simple. Yeah. And, and that's not, I mean, the human body is very complex and the science behind some of this stuff is yeah, so absolutely. cool. And I love the little details of research. And then at the end of the day, it's like, what's the take home message? It's very often very simple mm-hmm. and, you know, or the behaviors that we should have around food and body could be very simple, but man, sometimes for people to really embrace and master the simple things is still such a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it
1: really is just kind of losing a little bit of that self trust, that self regulation. You're following like a meal plan that you got offline versus just going back to the basics and actually honoring what your body wants and what you're craving and what and, and finding that intuitive side of you, right? And holding on to that. So I think definitely diving into kind of going back to like, okay, so if a client comes to me and they're, intermittent fasting, they're not sleeping well, they're eating 1200 calories, a they, they saw that on an Instagram or whatever the situation may be, right, kind of having to go back and reflect on what they've kind of absorbed and how to unlearn it and how to kind of make peace with it and to be able to move forward and, and then reconnect with themselves again.
0: Yeah, you know, you've mentioned, you know, TikTok or Instagram a couple times now. And I think that's been for both you and I, it's been a, a part of our careers is social media has been a part of our dietetics practice but it is so interesting how detrimental it can be with these the fad diets and the oh somebody else is eating this way so i think i should be too i just think that social media has a huge influence on people's nutrition beliefs and what they're learning right it's like instead of learning from an expert we're just learning you, you can scroll in 5 minutes and learn from you know 50 different People who don't have any degrees in this at all <laughs> and just absorbing all the wrong information.
1: Yeah, anyone can claim to be a, an expert in this field. You know, and it's that's the scary thing about it. And I bring that up quite a, quite a bit with my clients that they can kind of Google anything and find a blog about it, and it's not. It might not be true, and but they have the free range to be able to post that. And I also think that social media gives a huge false sense of reality. Right, people posting. What I eat in the day videos, like most of the time, it's a compilation of five days in a row, and they're just piecing it all together and then putting it in a video, right, to make it look really good. So I think also kind of recognizing that social media is definitely more more about
0: moments than really more about the big picture. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's actually one of, for me, I think the role of social media is very like frustrating. <laughs> it's very frustrating because in <laughs> one sense, I'm like, okay... I can use it myself to like start infiltrating the space and spread the good news and Mm -hmm. share about food freedom, share about fueling your body for performance and stuff like that. And then it's also very overwhelming and discouraging when there's just so many other people out there over and over again. So social media for me, at least, is a a love-hate relationship with how to use it. Yep. for nutrition, which I think is actually why I've been leaning in towards the podcast more than, what? Yeah. than my Instagram page, because I'm like, well, this is like, I invite who I decide whose voice I I'm want sure. to be heard yeah. and stuff. It was really nice. But what would you say? So for me, social media is a very frustrating part of being a dietitian, but what are some of your like favorite aspects or favorite parts of your job as a dietitian?
1: I, you know, I think working with not only just athletes, but athletes with eating disorders, that's kind of where I find the most joy. I mean, obviously it's really hard work and being a part, unfortunately being, having to work with people who are unfortunately really struggling or very, very sick. But I think the best part of it is like having them thank me six months after they stopped working with me because they don't need me anymore. Right. And I have people will write, will write to me six months after we stopped working together and thanking me for being a part of their journey. And I just think that's the greatest. That's the reason why I do this, you know, working at the eating disorder center, for example, full time working with people who needed residential treatment. So people who were very, very sick, but watching them move through the process and struggle for months and then be able to kind of get over that hump and get to the other side and having them thank you. You know, we all go into this profession to help people and I think working with athletes, they're so motivated, which is incredible to be able to kind of push them and they want to get that buy-in from you. But then having that eating disorder, disorder, eating on top of that definitely brings a whole nother challenge. But being able to be a part of someone's journey to finding peace with themselves, with food, with their body again, with movement, whatever it may be, I I can't, like, I think it's the best part of this job.
0: It is. I know. I agree. And that's something that myself and my colleague, Jenna, too, were always like, we hear from our clients. And if we haven't heard from a client in a while, we're like, let's shoot them an email. I haven't heard from them in a while. How are they doing? Because it's, you know, you make such an impact. Now, you said something that was really interesting. Well, not really interesting. Well, it was interesting, but just working at the clinic and people who were in a very like sick state physically, mentally. But I also think that this is. A struggle for athletes that are still competing, walking around every day, still going to school, still going to their jobs, but are also really, really sick. And yet they don't see themselves as that person like needing to be in a treatment center, right? I think there's just something about whether it be the fact that they, and I've got air quotes around this, are eating a lot (laughs) compared to their non athletic peers or that. Weight wise, they appear to be air quotes, just fine. We have this like image that's not correct, but I think many people have an image in our head of like what it would look like to be sick enough to need a treatment center. And this is a huge issue as to why so many female athletes and athletes in general struggle with eating disorders and disordered eating is because they don't see themselves as that person and therefore don't get the help that they need soon enough when it's still a, a huge concern, you know, it's like, and there's a wonderful book. I'm sure you know of it from the Gaudiani Clinic, Dr. Gaudiani called Sick Enough to kind oh, of yeah. it's it's very a good eye opening read of like you deserve treatment yeah. and help yeah. no matter what. But I just think can you speak to your experiences working with athletes that just don't see themselves the way that maybe you as a clinician are seeing it happening.
1: Yeah, I mean, one thing I, I always say to anyone who kind of expresses that I'm like, they're like they're maybe they went to the doctor and they got weight, and the doctor said that their weight is fine, so nothing to be worried about, right? Or their labs are pristine, or their heart rate is normal for an athlete, for example, right? And I always talk about how eating disorders is a mental illness, it's a psychological pain. With physical implications, right? There are physical things that come through with the mental side of this disorder, right? With restriction, your body weight may go down, but some athletes with restriction, their body weight stays the same or might even go up, right? Most of the time, every athlete that I see in, especially back in my time in the residential center, a lot of these people's labs were pristine right? Because the body is resilient and their body is able to adapt. So I, I think that any, anyone who is struggling with restriction, binge eating, purging, any of those types of behaviors, it's from a psychological pain, right? And any, and every single person deserves care, regardless of the level of it, regardless of their, their physical symptoms or side effects, right? Because this really is a disorder of the mind.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I think it's always important to say, like, no matter where you are, like, if you want something better for yourself, you deserve that. If you want to be free of the mental pain, if you want to, as an athlete, perform better, not be so tired, not be hurting so badly, (laughs) under recovering, getting injured over and over again, like that, that's where well, then you can get better, right? You know, yeah. and that deserves the the care and the treatment and the attention to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you recently more, sorry, like before jumping around a little sure. bit, but you recently completed the Gatorade SNP internship, right? How was that experience? Yeah, so
1: I kind of did a little bit of a 180 and a 3000 move all of a sudden. So <laughs> Yeah, so I so I was working at the female athlete program from July of 2020 to December
0: Mm of
1: 2020. And then January hits and I'm working for Laura's private practice and I'm doing that a couple days a week. But I was just kind of like, what's next? And, And at the time, there was nothing really in Boston that was open, the female athlete program didn't have any opening. So I kind of had to figure it out. And obviously, Covid hit, so a lot of things were going on from like people hiring, and then on a personal note, my boyfriend ended up getting a new job out in Seattle, which I was like, okay, have to kind of think about maybe thinking about Seattle potentially. So, yeah, I ended up coming across that Wash University of Washington was hosting again for 2021, and my goal from the very beginning of going into sports nutrition was to hopefully work in a collegiate program, and I just hadn't gotten to it yet. I was having a hard time breaking into collegiate settings in Boston. Everyone who worked in collegiate settings wasn't leaving. And I get it, right? Because the jobs there were great and they didn't want to leave and they didn't really need any help or didn't have the budget for it. So I ended up just taking a leap and I applied and I ended up matching and working with Emma Fake over at the University of Washington. And then Allie Gallup ended up joining us in about November of 2021. And I had an incredible experience. I mean, it definitely was a huge culture shift just from moving from Boston to Seattle, and really kind of a whole different day-to-day job, right? I was used to sitting in front of a commuter screen, counseling every hour on the hour, right, throughout the day and work at Washington. I was on my feet all day. I barely was in my office. I was talking to coaches all day. I was talking to athletes all day, working within the fueling station. So it really gave me that immersive experience that I was really hoping to get, um, that long time to kind of get to and help me kind of solidify kind of where I want to go next. And I'm very, very grateful for that experience.
0: Yeah, yeah, this I've worked at three different universities. So the collegiate setting is super, is, is super different. And it's really hard to get that experience. So the Gatorade snip is a great even though you still have to apply and be accepted, like, but it's a great way that they're helping people get into the collegiate setting if you're interested in that. So it's just so interesting how sports nutrition can take these different forms, right? It can take the form of being on the field with the athletes or being in the fueling station. It can also take the form of doing one-on-one consulting, private consulting. And it can take the form of the overlap between disordered eating and sport. There's so many different like paths that you can go with it. What, what is your, and obviously like you're actively working in this field, but what is your favorite area? Is it, is it the consulting? Is it the collegiate age or being on the field? Do you have a favorite? You know, I'm still trying to figure that out.
1: I, yeah. I've i been all over the place. I have I now live in Miami. So I have just moved for the past oh, couple of years. Yeah. So now I'm in Miami now. So I've kind of moved all over the country. I've been switching jobs constantly. So I think for right now, I, I know 100% I love the one-on-one connecting with athletes within the eating disorder and sports nutrition space and really being able to build those relationships and have that impact on like an individual level. But then my time at Washington, I loved the fact that I was, I, my day never looked the same. Like I never knew it was going to come up. It kind of felt like things would come up and you have to scramble and have to run across campus or whatever the situation was. And I kind of love having to think on my toes and having to constantly be moving. So from here, I mean, I'm kind of on the job hunt right now trying to figure out exactly kind of what I want to do next. And a part of me really wants to get back to the collegiate setting to kind of really solidify if that's exactly what I want to do, because I was only there for eight months, which gave me an incredible experience, but it's only eight months. And so I definitely am looking into seeing if that's something that I still want to do and then being able to maintain private practice just because I still love that work.
0: And you can also do where you're doing private practice and part of your private practice is building out contracts with the D3, D2 schools and universities or high school teams that don't have that support. I know that's something that I've been able to do over the past few years. I built, well, and I built a contract here with the University of Texas, San Antonio, which is division one, but they didn't have a billet for a full-time position. And it's like, so I can have my private practice and can build out a contract with them. And then I've been able to do that with multiple other universities that don't have that full-time position and you can still approach it with the like, okay, I'm here for the one-on-ones, but I can also come on site and I can work with the dining halls and I can do grocery store tours. And so I actually, sorry, as an entrepreneur, I'm like that, do it that way (laughs) Do do the private practice, but dabble in sports organizations and teams and universities as well. You can do both.
1: No, absolutely. It's it's a great it's a great opportunity and yeah, so us at the at Laura's practice, we do talks for Tufts for example. We've done a lot of talks with the Boston Ballet, the Skating Club of Boston, other little smaller schools around the Boston area. So it definitely is a way to kind of continue with that big group education, team talks and then kind of being able to do like on-site clinics, right? And being able to kind of find contracts that way. So that's definitely something that we've loved being able to do over the years.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Amazing, Emily. Well, I end every podcast episode with asking all my guests the same questions. So okay. we're going to do those for you. All right. If you could eat one food every single day for the rest of your life and never get sick of it, what would that be? Peanut butter. It's easily, a good one. easily. Yeah. <laughs> crunchy or creamy? Oh, crunchy.
1: 100%. Yeah. And salted. Has to be salted and crunchy yeah. for me.
0: Yeah. I love it. I have been really exploring with all the nut butters, which is really fun, right? There's the peanut you know, butter, almond butter, but now there's like cashew butter, sunflower seed butter. And yes. so my grocery store, I recently discovered walnut butter. Oh, I've never had that. Yeah, it is so good. And then they have their regular walnut butter. I currently have a coconut walnut butter. There's an oatmeal cookie flavored walnut butter. I've just wow. been like, I'm Okay. Yeah, it's fun. All the different nut butters. But I mean, peanut butter is the OG, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Easily, easily. (laughs) Amazing.
0: Yeah. Uh, What is your favorite sport to participate in yourself? I would say volleyball.
1: I played volleyball back when I was in Boston. I did like a summer league on the beach. It was like beach volleyball. So much fun. Just like a very fun social sport. And I worked with the volleyball team at Washington this past year and just loved the environment. So Mm -hmm. that's definitely one that I've loved being able to participate in along with tennis, of course. But
0: yeah, now you're back in you're in Miami. So definitely some beach volleyball there. When I was in Florida, I definitely got into that sport. It was a lot of fun. Very challenging. But if you can have fun with it. (laughs) You you will
1: never feel soreness as as bad as playing beach volleyball for a day and then the wake up. I agree. Like, oh my goodness. Yeah. And I think
0: not only because you're in the sand and it's difficult, but then you've got the heat, the sun on you, the dehydration, like just oh, everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, never mind if you're doing it socially and there's a margarita involved or something that just makes it even <laughs> oh, right. more difficult. Yeah. How about as a spectator? What's your favorite spectator sport? Tennis, hands down. Yeah. 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 I. Love watching
1: tennis on TV. I love traveling to tournaments. I hope to get back more into that in the future. I was watching the U.S. Open on TV this year, but didn't end up making it down there. But I love watching tennis at the pro level and then also at the collegiate level, just because it's so loud. And professional tennis is so quiet most of the time. Yeah, in yeah. collegiate tennis, like you can yell and cheer when people are playing. So I just think it's a really fun atmosphere for a sport that's really known for being not only quiet, but also very individual. So
0: yeah, yeah. It's such a a unique perspective on it. I never, yeah, totally. It's like different. Yeah. yeah. With the different, what's the word I'm looking for? The levels. Yeah. Yeah. Levels. Yeah. Cool. And last question, is there a female athlete, whether in your personal life or more well-known that you would give a shout out to for being a role model to other female athletes for being fierce, fit and fueled, as I always say, who would that be and why? If there was a, an athlete in particular or Mm -hmm. yeah, someone, someone that you just think is really inspirational or it could be an athlete in your personal life. Sure.
1: You know, I, I probably have to say like some of my former coaches would be some of my female athlete coaches that I've had. They've traveled all over the world. They've really dedicated their time and energy to helping younger like kids really reach their goal and find their potential within the sport and being able to give back. And that's kind of a big part about number one, why I kind of went into sports nutrition to really be able to help support the younger athlete and helping them kind of not only fuel for performance, but
0: also build a relationship with food they're going to take with them for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. I love that. There's a such an impact that coaches have on their athletes. And so to have a good coach and inspirational coach can really change, you know, your life, not just as an athlete, but just, you know, as you develop and grow. So that's amazing. Absolutely. Emily, thank you so much for sharing your nutrition philosophy and your journey story. Uh, Where can people like follow along, reach out to you, head to your website, things like that. Can you share that?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I am on Instagram. So it's M the dietitian. And then You can reach out to me through Laura Morietti's private practice. And I'm happy to share that
0: website with you offline. Absolutely. We'll have it in their show notes as well. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me. I really hope you enjoyed that episode and thanks for listening. But before I let you go, I have free resources that you can have access to right away, right now so that you can start fueling your body as a fierce fit and fueled female athlete. First, I have your Red S Recovery Race. If you've ever wondered if you might be struggling with Red S, curious to learn more, or know you have Red S and are looking to recover fast, then you can head to www.riseupnutritionrun.com slash Red S and download the Red S Recovery Race. See how you place and figure out the next steps to recovery. Plus, while there, I have a few other great resources for you, including... Three nutrition secrets that every elite athlete swears by, and access to our private Facebook community, Female Athlete Nutrition. So again, to gain access to all of this, head to RiseUpNutritionRun.com/reds. That's backslash R-E-D-S, and you can gain access and get the help you need fast. Too many girls and women and female athletes struggle with nutrition, but you don't have to any longer become fierce, fit, and fueled links in the show notes. And I'll see you next time.